Welcome to Unpacking the Digital Shelf, where we explore brand manufacturing in the digital age. Hey everyone, Peter Crosby coming to you from the Digital Shelf Institute's Cape Cod office. And as always now, Rob's in the Berkshires. Hey Hello Rob. There. So, Rob, I want to get right to it. Artificial intelligence, what's up with that? <laughs> you know, I saw there were a few things. You had sent an article my way, which was in Vogue Business, talking about the Yes. Uh, it's it's a, the shopping app that Julie Bornstein, who used to be at Nordstrom, runs. And, uh, and the article was a lot about taxonomy, but it also was talking about the way artificial intelligence intelligence is being used to build their product taxonomy. And that kind of sent me down a kind of a rabbit hole of, of how is artificial intelligence being used today and, and uh, in what ways, what is it good for? And then also what is it it's bad for? So I just, let's get to it. This is just an awesome topic. Um, I, I want to start with a little bit of history. I, I studied AI back, back in college and it was before AI became a big thing again. The, um, there was a period of time, the 1970s and 1980s, which is in people in the space called the AI winter. So there was a lot of buzz around AI when people first figured out the statistical and computational techniques that could make it possible to solve all kinds of problems. But it just turns out that the computing power and the data storage capacity and things like that just weren't, weren't good enough back then. They were too expensive. And so AI took a backseat for a long, long, long period of time. And then in the 2000s, uh, computing capacity got cheap enough and data storage got cheap enough. And then also new techniques such as deep learning were, uh, were coming to the front that has allowed a Cambrian explosion of AI applications. So I think we, we've, we've entered a period where um, we're only now, I mean, just very, very recently at a point where people can take a broadly applicable base technology and play around with it in specific use cases. And in the last, you know, three years or so in retail, we've seen a bunch of really uh, of interesting progress, right? It's, it's kind of moving out of the lab and out yeah. of science fiction and into real applications that, that are quite interesting. And, and uh, this week we've got a roundup of about a half dozen of them that I think are pretty, pretty fascinating things to pay attention to over the next couple of years. Yeah, I think, uh, and you tell me, I, I feel like one of the earliest social platforms to, to get good in a way, I mean, it, A, it seems one that fashion is a, is a really early place where AI is being used, um, mostly for, uh, for identifying sort of images and relating them, like Pinterest has been doing it for fashion for a while, right? Um, Amazon introduced a uh, style snap. They, this is sort of basically Shazam for clothes that they built into their app. And it's sort of using machine learning to match the look in the photo and find similar items for sale, that kind of stuff. Yeah. People have been doing image based search and reconciliation for the past 10 years in all kinds of various ways, you know, in the consumer space, you've got Google photos. So if you use Google, you know, an Android phone and you've got Google photos, Google will automatically tag, every photo with the correct person's name based on face recognition and stuff like that. Um, I, I think that it, for whatever reason, it never really took off in terms of 
take a picture of somebody's shoe and then use that picture for search. It never really exploded. So the use cases that we're seeing now, I think are more pragmatic. They fit more in line with current user behavior and they act to optimize a shopping path that already exists rather than trying to create a new shopping path. So, you know, set again. Introduce a new habit, yeah. Yeah, like the, what, the, what you were talking about in terms of asking the consumer to take the photo for search, you're, you're asking them to do something different than they normally do. So in this case, the, the article that piqued my interest is by the great Megan McDowell. I just absolutely love what she's doing with yeah, the Vogue Business great. Technology section. And uh, there's, there's a technology platform called Farfetch that uses image recognition in, and a, a deep uh, knowledge graph of fashion-based attributes in order to deeply tag products. And the reason that's useful is you get, like, look, I'm going to screw up a bunch of these words because I am the least fashion person I know but you get like a, a sweater and does it have a cowl neck does it have a v-neck does it you know whatever all the different neck varieties are um, and and how they change over time it's very difficult to make sure every single sweater from thousands and thousands of sweater manufacturers all have the correct tagging according to the way that you want to label the data for your site search algorithm right and for your for your site taxonomy and so what the Farfetch team has done is they've built a large knowledge graph of all of these potential attributes. They've trained the system to recognize products that exhibit these attributes. And then they'll tag products based on what they see in the images. So if you've got a product um, and you've got a, a bunch of angles of that product in, in images, in image shots, and you feed it into Farfetch, Farfetch will tag the hell out of it and they'll do it quite accurately. And so what that means is that when someone goes to search or browse, on an e-commerce website, the tagging allows them to make sure that they find every last product that might fit their search criteria. You know, V-neck sweater. Every V-neck sweater will show up, not just the ones that some human has tagged. And so, so what I like about that is it's a usage of AI that plugs a gap and makes an existing consumer shopping path way more effective. Yeah, I love that. Um... Uh, Amit Agrawal, who's the uh, Yes co-founder and CTO at, uh, and said, called it mapping the DNA of a product, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, it's a good line. It's a good line. And uh, one of the things that, that they talked about was uh, there's a new e-commerce platform called Psyche. And of course, it's spelled something different, P-S-Y-K-H-E. Uh, but in addition to gathering all the things you would expect about, um, about products. They also assign products a personality profile and they use the, the, what turns out the big five personality traits model. And one of them is neuroticism, <laughs> which I love being a neurotic person that I, I love that somebody could sort of match my neuroticism to a product and that the other end of that scale was stable. <laughs> which means, yeah, thank you. But there's also the other five are agreeableness, extroversion, conscientiousness, openness, and that people, and it seems like also products can sort of be mapped to that scale of the personality traits. I don't know whether that works, whether that's really, but that, that's what they're trying to do at Psyche. Yeah, I, I, that's one of those that feels a little more like a par parlor trick to me. Yeah. Um, and in particular, it feels like a parlor trick because you're asking somebody to do something different. So when I go and I search for a shirt, 
I'm not searching for a shirt that's like Rob is stutter stubborn and OCD. Give me give me shirts for like a stubborn <laughs> OCD guy. You know, that's not how. That's oh my god! Now I understand your wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so like right now I'm wearing a shirt um, with Metallica's and Justice for All album cover, which is one of my very favorite albums of all time. And there's a lot of different people that like Metallica and there's a lot of different people that like different Metallica albums. And I don't know that you can take a agreeableness and, and come up with this shirt. Or if you're sh shopping for a, for a phone, let's say, I mean, if you're shopping for an Apple, like an iPhone, like whatever, you just buy whatever the iPhone is. But if you're shopping for an Android, there's a lot of different Android phones out there. What are you going to do? Like say, I need an Android phone for someone who's like got OCD tendencies. That's not, nobody, nobody thinks to search like that. And so I think this, again, this is one of these areas where it's, it's pretty unclear to me what the application is. And anytime yeah. that you ask consumers to behave differently than they already behave, it's a big lift. I mean, on, you know, on the flip side, if people do adopt it and it takes off in mass, then, they, then they'll have a proprietary technology and they'll be worth a billion dollars. Right. Right. But, um, but it's, it feels like a big, big swing. One of the things I saw that Facebook recently unveiled, speaking of fun names, Groknet, G-R-O-K-N-E-T. Uh, some geek at Facebook named that. And it's essentially kind of doing what Pinterest has already done, right? Uh, automatically identifying and tagging items to help people sell items on the marketplace. But what I thought was particularly cool and not surprisingly, because it's Facebook, they have, their database has an order of magnitude of around 100 million images with a majority taken from marketplace. So again, sort of that crowdsourced database, that's really what can start to drive AI towards interesting places, right? Is this sort of scope of data? Yeah, I think th this actually is a good use. So first of all, a little bit of an aside, Groknet, the word Grok, G-R-O-K, was coined by Robert Heinlein in the book, Stranger in a Strange Land. And Grok basically means to really deeply understand and comprehend a thing. So it's a, it's a, that's the, the, the mm -hmm. reference in the lineage of the word. And you'll see nerds and computer science. I do have that in my background, yes. Based on that. <laughs> Um, anyway, so any stranger in a strange land, which is, I mean, we, we definitely are all strangers in a strange land today. Um, these days, so what yeah. I'll say is on, on Groknet, uh, the reason that I like this is for Facebook marketplace, if you are a person and you're selling something like you would on Craigslist, you got to take a photo of the thing, right? And one of the, one of the kinds of pains in the butt thing about Craigslist is taking the photo and then writing the product title and writing the description and all this sort of stuff. And like, let's say you've got an old toaster or whatever that you're going to put on there. What's actually the make, what's the model, what am I selling? You know? And so you, you just use generic search phrases. Um, and we know that the more specific you can be about the product that you're selling, the better the product will perform from a search and discovery perspective on the marketplace. And also from a conversion perspective on the marketplace, because people have, confidence that they know what the thing is, you know, minimally what they're going to do, whether it's on Craigslist or Facebook marketplace is they'll take the, the make and model to go to Amazon and look in reviews before they then transact on Facebook marketplace. Right. So getting that specificity is key. If you're going to take the photo of the thing anyway, in order to upload it, in order to sell it on the marketplace, if Facebook can then identify the exact make and model and what the thing is and start auto-populating this data, it's just a better shopping experience. It yeah. just helps people do what they're already going to do, but do it better. And so that it's for me, again, this is the theme of this stuff. It makes 
uh, it makes the whole process that's already happening more efficient. Good use of AI. Yeah, and every social network is trying to make every moment shoppable. That, that's, that's what they're about. And so the more they can uh, link any of this content on their site to something that people could buy, they're going to try and do it, right? Yeah, I mean, what's good with the next, the next step here is, I mean, Facebook obviously uses a ton of AI for the feed um, for every individual. It's gonna be interesting whether the marketplace shoppable items start showing up there as part of the regular news feed. And, and that kind of mix will be interesting. Maybe, maybe Facebook will use Psyche. Maybe Facebook will say, Rob is OCD. <laughs> <laughs> he needs this toaster. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it. I wouldn't put it past them. And I think particularly, you know, we've had a week of big tech in front of Congress, right, uh, talking about sort of the risks and uh, and and overreach potentially of these platforms. And and I think that whenever you're talking about AI, I think you need to talk about the downsides. Yeah, the risks AI has a bunch of downsides. So the, the whole facial recognition thread, I think has received a lot of media attention over the last year. We don't need to need to go into it, but Benedict Evans wrote an article last year called um, notes on AI bias. And one of the, one of the things that's interesting about AI is that what the machine does really is biased by how you train it. So AI and its base is a statistical technique that takes patterns and allows you to, um, to recognize patterns. So um, it can, for example, given enough examples of spam emails, it can, with a pretty high degree of accuracy, guess whether a new email coming in that it's never seen before is spam or not spam. Given enough examples of V-neck sweaters, it can identify whether the sweater coming in is V-neck or not V-neck. Given enough examples of sheep versus dogs, it can, it can, you know, with a high degree of confidence, say whether this animal is a sheep or a dog, and so on and so forth, right? And, and this, is, this is true of almost every single thing. So if you look at, for example, self-driving cars, given, and this is what makes making a fully self-driving car so difficult, given enough examples of a car pulls up to an intersection, it's going to be, it's going to make the right decision as to what to do in that intersection. Now, the issue is that with self-driving cars, there's a bajillion different variations on the theme. So there's, uh, is there a dog in the intersection? Is there a cat in the intersection? Is there an old lady with a walker in the intersection? Did somebody just blow a red light? Is the, you know, where's the stop sign located? Is it easy to, you know, there's just a, there's so much variation. Is it night? Is it day? Is it raining? Is it snowing? It's just a bus full of nuns. Yeah. So, so like the number of examples that you need for all the different variations, make it, make it hard to completely train a car for every single scenario that might possibly happen, right? Yeah, what Ben um, Evans said is uh, machine learning doesn't understand anything. It just looks for patterns and numbers. And if the sample data isn't representative, the output won't be either. Exactly, garbage yeah. in, garbage out. So yeah. his, like, I'm gonna read another, that was a, I, I love that quote. Let me, let me read another one, which is my favorite. Um, what does this mean in practice? My favorite example is the tendency of image recognition systems to look at a photo of a grassy hill and say, sheep. Most of the pictures that are examples of sheep were taken on grassy hills because that's where sheep tend to live. And the grass is a lot more prominent in the images than the little white fluffy things. So that's where the systems placed most of the weight. And so the, the crafting 
uh, example data sets and training data sets that don't fall into this technique is really problematic. Um, you know, for the from facial recognition, for example, if you look at pat, trying to pattern criminal behavior and you give it the wrong data set, like let's say that you give it a data set of uh, people that are currently in jail and the jail happens to be maybe more heavily weighted to, towards being African-American to white, the system by accident might be racist. You know, the system might come out there and just see right. pictures of African-Americans and say criminal, 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 criminal. We've actually seen this happen in police systems. And it's not because people sought out to create a AI-based recognition system that's racist. It's just getting the training set correct to make sure that you're accounting for all of the different examples and you're not biasing it and all this sort of stuff is really, really difficult. So, um, you know, my, my tendency here, again, is if, you, if you're looking at a problem that's a, a reasonably well-defined problem, that's reasonably well-contained, and that is part of what somebody's already doing, then that, that can be a really good usage of AI, you know, tagging yeah. products, good, good use of AI, trying to predict when you, when you might go out of stock, um, you know, so for, for supply chain automation, really good use of AI, you know, stuff like that, that are just, you know, really contained. Though, those are where you're going to see the use cases shine. Yeah, Ben Evans said, the answer is to build tools and processes to check on bias and to educate the users, make sure people don't just do what the AI says. Love this. Machine learning is much better at doing certain things than people, just as a dog is much better at finding drugs than people. But you wouldn't convict someone on a dog's evidence. <laughs> <laughs> and dogs are much more intelligent than any machine learning. That's a really good point. And, and then there's another aspect of this that's, that's also worth taking into account, which is the AI is not going to design your category structure. It's not going to design your attribution model. It doesn't design your knowledge graph. The AI will, it's good at tagging things. It's good at maybe identifying like, I'm not sure, this might be a new tag. You know, where does this fit? It's good at doing those things, but it's pretty not good at defining the model. Yeah. And, and defining the model, there's an art to it and it's got to evolve. And that, and that means that you've got to constantly be playing a mix of where the human comes in and does the creative design. And then where the AI comes in and just makes something repeatable and automatable. Um, my favorite illustration, and, and maybe we can end with this, is in the 90s, Gary Kasparov, who's uh, by many considered the greatest chess player who ever lived, lost to Deep Blue, the IBM AI-based chess machine. Mm -hmm. And that was a turning point in AI where people said, oh my God, you know, this is, the AI is real here. Um, Kasparov, it's actually interesting, went on to create a new international chess competition where the player on each side could be anything. Instead of human to human, it could be human to, against a team of humans. It could be human versus a machine. It could be human and a machine as a team versus just a human and so on and so forth. And for many years now, the, in that tournament structure, the human machine teams have been utterly dominant. Meaning a human and machine working together beats just a machine or beats just a human or beats a team of humans or beats a team of machines. And I think that's really interesting. And I think that's, that's a, a good illustration of where we are with AI and, and, and it'll, it'll help guide where the, where the good usages of it are. It's not a magic button. 
that makes a ton of sense. And, and I think we should close on that. I do need to point out that one of the things that involves sort of both human and machine interaction is that um, the, the folks at the ES discovered that a new attribute that had come up very recently is the zoom top. So uh, I presume in this case, because they call it a top, you know, women searching for what is a top that I can wear on a Zoom call and look good. And so they've now added that to their attributes. So there, see, you have the machine finding the pattern and then the humans deciding to add it. That is the, the essence of the collaboration of machines and humans. A Zoom top. <laughs> That's what you're wearing right now <laughs> with, your, with your album cover. <laughs> all right that is it for today enough enough artificial or real intelligence for the day do we, we do want to give you a heads up on the next session in the strategy playbook series for d2c jamie dooley uh, he's a former e-commerce and merchandising leader at, at brands like keurig dr pepper Durrell juvenile was at wayfair and target he's now a consultant he'll be doing a deep dive on how to drive sales on marketplaces and also how to use marketplace um, as a way to test and learn your way into a D2C strategy. It's going to be a, a really great continuation of our series. Um, Annie will put the link to register in our show notes in your podcast app. Thanks for joining us. And thanks as always for being part of our community. 